We started out talking about everything is spiritual. In order to understand the armor of God, we have to understand it's spiritual because it's not literal armor. You don't physically put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's the gospel that gives you that righteousness. It is placed on you, and you have to remember it's there. It's spiritual. Number two, we talked about forging, or week two, we talked about forging the armor, which is developing that relationship with God. That's where your armor is forged, and it's specifically forged for you. You cannot use somebody else's armor. You have to forge your own armor in the context of growing in your relationship with the Lord. Week three, we talked about the law. Man, I love this week because the law is so deceptive. The law, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1556, the power of sin is the law. And the law actually does just the opposite of what we want it to do. That's how deceptive it is. We think the law is keeping us from sin. In reality, it's empowering the sin that is within. So we have to understand that we don't have the power to stop sin. No matter how hard we try, no matter how many rules and regulations we create, we cannot stop That's why we need the armor. The armor is there and given to us. It's not made by us. Then week four, we talked about the source of sin, the difference between a symptom and the source. You know, if I got pneumonia and I'm coughing, the coughing is a symptom of the actual sickness. Well, all these things that we see in our lives, if you look at Galatians chapter 5, and the list of the works of the flesh. Those are symptoms of the sin sickness that is within us. All too often we focus on the symptom and we forget about the sickness. I can go to the doctor and get some cough medicine and the cough goes away, but if I've still got pneumonia, that doesn't do me any good. Same thing in my life. You know, as I've said, many times I dealt with pornography for 25 years, 12 and a half as a Christian. Just getting rid of the pornography was not going to help me. It made me look good on the outside, but I still had the sickness on the inside. And it's the sickness God is after, not the symptom. All the symptom does is indicate the presence of sickness, like smoke indicates the presence of fire. There's no sense in blowing the smoke away if you're not going to put out the fire. And that's what God's after. He wants to put out that fire of sin that is within our soul. And then last week, we talked about the man behind the curtain in the context of conflict. How does the armor help us in conflict? Well, first of all, we have to understand that conflict is spiritual. It's not just natural. There is a spiritual aspect of conflict because the enemy uses conflict to fulfill his purposes, which is to steal, kill, and destroy And all too often, we play right into it by focusing on the natural aspect of conflict and not really realizing the real enemy in conflict, which is not the other person, it's the enemy himself. There's only one enemy. It's not other people. It's the enemy, the devil. And it's the only one that we have to worry about in the sense of fighting back. We don't fight against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realm, not here on earth. We don't fight each other. We fight the enemy. But we can fight the enemy because Jesus has already defeated him. So we don't have to be victims in conflict. So this week, I want to talk about discipleship. Reaching the world one person at a time. Now, many of you know I used to be a Fort Worth police officer. For a year and a half, I worked in the DWI unit. DWI unit was part of the traffic division. If you've ever been pulled over on the highway by a a motorcycle cop, that's part of the traffic division. There's also freeway enforcement. Their sole purpose in life is to give you a ticket. (laughs) That's what the traffic division does, is freeway enforcement, the, the motor units, the motorcycle police officers, the highway enforcement, and then DWI at night. <clears throat> well, we, we had an impromptu, unofficial motto that we would say, we're educating the public one driver at a time. And we'd give everybody a receipt of their education. <laughs> Please press hard, you're making three copies. But here's the thing. Discipleship is very much the same. It's one person at a time. 
when, when we talk about reaching the world, what are we talking about? Are we talking about political entities? Are we talking about land? Are we talking about the political nations? Are we talking about uh, organization businesses? No, we're talking about people. When, when God said, or in, in John 3.16, it says, for God so loved the world, he wasn't talking about the land. He wasn't talking about national entities. He was talking about people. Jesus didn't die for businesses. He didn't die for government organizations. He died for you and me. He loves us. He loves people. And that's what discipleship is all about. It's about people. And we have to realize that the individual must be focused on. Unfortunately, in the Western world, we love numbers. We tend to focus on big crowds and and big numbers. But when it comes to discipleship, The most important number is one, the individual. How many times you've been to a seminar, a Bible study, a service, or whatever, and there's a lot of people there, but you walk away and you're right where you were when you got there. That's what we're after is the individual. We have to focus on the individual because if we miss the individual, we miss the whole point. God is an individual God. He's a personal God. He's not here for the group in the sense of all of us all at once. He's here for the group in the sense of us individually. We have individual relationships, but we are a group. And it's what bonds us together is the spirit. It's not skin color. It's not race. It's not nationality. It's the spirit. When I go to Central America with that group, uh, called Light of Life International. We do crusade ministry in Central America. I've had an opportunity to preach in, in Hispanic churches there. And one thing I'll tell them is, I've never met you before, and I probably won't meet you again. You speak a different language. You eat different food. You have a different culture. But there's one thing we have in common, and that's the Spirit of God. And that's what makes us the same. That's what brings us together. That's why we're here together. It's not because of anything but the Spirit of God. And the individual is brought together in the whole as the body of Christ by the Spirit of God. But we can't forget the individual. And the most important individual that we need to focus on initially is ourselves. And I don't mean that in a selfish, self-centered way. It's all about me and everybody can just do their own thing. What I mean is we have to be willing to allow God to transform our lives first in order for him to work through us to transform the lives of those around us. We cannot lead other people down a path that we ourselves are not willing to go. And unfortunately, that's what discipleship has become, is a lot of people who are pointing the way rather than leading the way. And there's a big, big difference. You cannot lead somebody where you yourself have not gone. And if you're not willing to walk the path of discipleship, which is the narrow, difficult way, you can't lead somebody down that narrow, difficult way. But when you've been down it before and you know how to navigate, it's easy to lead somebody down it. Because when stuff happens, and stuff happens in discipleship, you can tell them, you know what? This is normal. And that's one of the probably the most frequent things I tell the guys I sit down with in discipleship. They'll come to me and go, oh my gosh, the wheels fell off, all this stuff's going on, and I'll just look at them and say, well, (laughs) that's normal. It's okay, don't panic. That's normal. How do I know it's normal? Because I've already been down that path. And I experienced it. And when I got to the other side, I went, oh, that's why that happened. You know what? That's okay. It's okay. But a lot of times when you have somebody just pointing the way and something happens and the wheels fall off and they go, whoa, man, I don't know what to tell you. That's probably not supposed to happen. I really don't know. Good luck. (laughs) And they go off somewhere else. So we have to be willing to go down the path ourselves. So tonight what I want to talk about is the armor in the context of becoming a disciple. I want to give you a different perspective about discipleship that you've probably never seen before. Not that I have any great wisdom. It's just, this is just the way my mind thinks. I'm weird, trust me. 
I'm weird. Okay, here's the thing. Most discipleship programs are, are Bible studies. They're based around books. They're, they're based around a formula or something. Now, there's nothing wrong. I'm not, I'm not against Bible studies. I'm not against books. I'm not against seminars. I'm not against conferences. I just led a conference last weekend. I'm not against those things. But those things cannot disciple you. They're great tools in discipleship. But here's the thing. Only a disciple can make a disciple. Jesus said, I'm sorry, the Lord said in Genesis 1, he said when he was creating the world, let the vegetation come forth and bear seed to produce fruit after its own kind. And let the animals come forth and produce after their own kind. A tree can only produce a tree. You cannot get a tree from a, from a bush. You can't get a bush from a plant, a, 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 a flower. They produce after their own kind. A book cannot produce a disciple. A program cannot produce a disciple. Only a disciple can produce a disciple. It's in the context of relationship. If there's no relationship, there's no discipleship. You have to have a relationship with somebody because Christianity is all about relationship. That's what the gospel is all about, is restoring our relationship with God. Christianity is not about some rules and regulations. It's about relationship. Christianity is not even about ministry. It's about relationship. Ministry is a tool God uses to restore relationship, but ministry is not the goal. Relationship is the goal. And in order to bring somebody to God and to disciple them, you have to enter into a relationship with them. But again, you can't walk them down a path that you have not gone yourself. So let me, let me give you a perspective on discipleship and how God is making you a disciple right now. Now before, you know, we had three circles, the body, soul, and the spirit. This is a little different. If you want to draw the three, they'd be right here. But here you are. This big circle is the context of your entire life. Here's what I believe about discipleship. Discipleship is not an academic process that takes place outside or apart from your life. Because a lot of times we do seminars, we do books or whatever, but it's like we take you out of the context of your life, go through this book, or the seminar, or whatever, and then throw you back into the context of your life. God is sovereign over your entire life. Now, this is for illustration purposes only. I'm not saying he's outside your life. He's all over this. But for illustration purposes only, he is sovereign over your entire life. And he does, he either authors or allows everything that goes on in your life. That includes the consequences to our stupid actions. There's plenty of dumb things I've done in my life, and I've suffered the consequences of it, and God has allowed that. That's where Galatians 6 comes in. As a man sows, so also shall he reap. And I don't have time to go into it right now, but believe me, consequences are a blessing. They are not a curse. They are not bad. They are good. Consequences are a blessing. They're designed by God to show us, hey, you're going the wrong way. That's what consequences are. They are not a curse. They're a blessing. Without consequences, we, we would have no reason to turn around. We would have absolutely no reason to turn around. Again, I don't have time to go into all that. But believe it or not, consequences are a blessing. All right. So let's look at the context of your life. In your life, you've got the result or consequences of the good things you've done. And that represented by the green X. You have the consequences of the bad things you've done represented by the red X. And then you have what I call neutral circumstances. These are things that occur in your life that you have no control over. 
you go into work one day and you get laid off. Not because you were, you were messing up or, or not because you did anything wrong. It's just the way the, the economy is going south. You worked in the oil field. The oil is going, you know, oil prices are going south. You get laid off. No control over it. I consider that a neutral circumstance. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And a lot of people go, well, that's negative. We'll talk about that here in a moment. Just for now, neutral circumstances are things that occur outside of your control. Good circumstances are the result of your good decisions. Bad circumstances are the result of your bad, circumstances, or your bad decisions. Now, as I said, God is sovereign over your entire life. Here's what God is doing. Instead of taking you out of the context of your life, putting you through a, a course or a study or something to make you a disciple, God is using your entire life for you to become a disciple. He's using all the context of your life for you to become a disciple. A lot of times we look at our lives and say, man, if this wasn't going on in my life, I could become a disciple. Or if this didn't happen to me, I could become a disciple. Or if that didn't happen, if this wasn't... We look at our lives as a distraction from our Christian walk rather than the means by which God is making us a disciple. God is sovereign over all these things. Just because there's a bad thing in there doesn't mean you can be derailed permanently. Doesn't mean God doesn't have power over it. And a lot of times what we're saying is we don't realize it when, when we look at the context of our life and say, man, I can't be, I can't be a good Christian and I can't be a good disciple. What we're saying in reality is this thing is too big for God. We are saying more about what we believe about God than what we believe about ourselves. Because what we're literally saying is, this thing, my context is too big for God to fix it. And that's just not the truth. So when we look at the context of our lives, we have to realize that God is sovereign over all this. Now, we're all familiar with Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Man, we love that verse. And all too often we look at that verse and say, well, that means eventually God's going to change my circumstances for my good. And really what we're saying is I want God to change my circumstances for my comfort. But what we forget is Romans 8.28 is tied to Romans 8.29, which says, for whom he foreknew, he predestined to become to the image, to conform to the image of Christ. The good in 828 is the character of Christ in 829. God's not interested in our comfort. He's interested in our character. And what God wants to do is change us from the inside out, not the outside in. What we want God to do is change us from the outside in. If we, man, God, if you just change my circumstances, everything would go so much better. But what God is saying, no, I'm going to change you, and then through you, I'm going to change your circumstances. That's what he's trying to do. So whatever's in your life right now, the good, the bad, or the neutral, doesn't matter. God wants to influence it through you rather than having it influence you. And that's where most of us are. We are victims of our circumstances. We look at our life and we say, man, if I could just have somebody else's life or if I could just have this different circumstance. Let me, look at, let me show you this sort of in a mathematical equation. Now, there are no formulas in Christianity, but I'm about to show you a couple formulas for illustration purposes only. Now, if you remember your algebra, you remember in algebra, in an algebraic equation, you have a variable and a constant to get some sort of result. So here's your variable, here's your constant, and you get a result. Each side of the equal sign has to equal. You have to balance it out. So in this particular equation, x times 1 equals, if the answer is 4, solve for x. What's x? 4, because anything times 1 equals that. Okay? Here is the formula for a victim. A victim mentality says, I am the product 
of my circumstances. X being your circumstances. Whatever your circumstances are, that's who I am, so that's what you get. If my circumstances are good, that means my life is good, or I've been good, or I deserve this. Or if my circumstances are bad, that means I've been bad, or I deserve this. And my life is just a roller coaster of circumstances. Whatever my, whatever my circumstances are is what I am. It, it's my identity. That's the victim mentality. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians live right here with this formula. I am my circumstances. Because we have a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. Because we are not our circumstances. We are the gospel, the righteousness of Jesus. But if we don't realize that, we can fall into the victim equation. Equation number two. Solve for X. What is the answer here? Zero. Anything times zero is zero. This is the negative mindset. doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I'm going to figure out how bad it is. I just won the lottery. Look how much taxes i got to pay. Look at, all, look at how many relatives I've got now. I didn't know them before. Man, everybody wants money. For, man, this is the worst thing in the world. I'm a millionaire and I'm miserable. It's the negative mindset. doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I'll always find the negative and the answer is always zero. Amen. That's the negative mindset. Now, for all you math wizards out there and all you math majors, I'm about to violate the rules of math, so please lay your stones down. This is for illustration purposes only. This is the disciple equation. X is your circumstances. K I'm using to represent the constant. I understand constant begins with a C. Okay? <laughs> but I'm using K to represent kingdom. Here's what God wants to do. In both of these equations, whatever the circumstance is, it is still modified by the constant. Okay? Whether it's one or zero. Here's what God wants to do with the disciple. He's not interested in changing the variable. He's interested in changing the constant to get a new result. Because when the constant changes, it still influences the variable. So the kingdom mindset, the discipleship mindset, or the discipleship equation, God is actually going to change the constant. In a math equation, the constant never changes. That's why it's called constant. But in the kingdom economy... You can change. That's what God wants to do. He wants to change you. Because when you change, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. They are now influenced by this new constant and the equation changes. That's what God's trying to do in our lives is change us. Because when we change, everything else around us changes. When I was a police officer working patrol, answering calls for service, the 911 call, you call 911, goes to a dispatcher, dispatcher, dispatches a patrol officer. I never knew what I was going to get. It's like Christmas every day. I never know what I'm going to get. And that was the fun of patrol. Every day was different. You had no idea what kind of call you were going to get. But when I went to a call... I had a very specific purpose. Now, if you're having a party at home, you don't call 911 because everything's going great. <laughs> Nobody calls the police. Hey, man, I'm having a great party. You want to send a couple of cops over? <laughs> Nobody does that. You call the police when things go bad. Amen. And when things go bad, here's what you want. You want somebody who has the authority and the ability to influence that circumstance in a good way. Amen. And that's what God is doing in our lives. He's turning us into kingdom people. So no matter what the call is, no matter what the circumstance is, he can send us into it with the kingdom authority and the experience to influence it for the kingdom so something good will come out of it. 
That's what God's trying to do in us. He wants us to be the influencer, not the influencee. But we have to begin in our own lives. Because if we're not willing to be the influencer in the circumstances of our own life, there's no way God's going to dispatch us to a kingdom call because we won't know what to do. If you had a police officer show up at your house and your party's gone bad, and they go, whoa, yeah, that's really bad, man. Um, maybe I ought to call another cop. You're going to go, what? What are you doing? How in the world did you get the badge? When I was working in the training division, one of the things we had to do was evaluate the rookies to make sure they were ready to go out and be the influencer rather than the influencee. And if they weren't ready, there was no way we're sending them out on the street. Our entire lives are the spiritual training academy as opposed to the police academy preparing us to become the kingdom influencers God has created us to be. That's our destiny. If you want to walk in your destiny, you have to be an influencer, not an influencee. You have to be a victor, not a victim. But it begins right at home, right in your own lives, right in my life. And everything that God has authored or allowed in your life right now is designed for you to become an influencer for the kingdom. It is not designed to defeat you. It is not designed to discourage you. It is designed to show you who you are in him and who he is in you. If you'll let him. If you will let him. But the choice is individually ours. We have to make that choice every single day in every single circumstance. Now, let me talk about these neutral circumstances. We, I mentioned earlier that a neutral circumstance is something that occurs out of your control that could appear on the surface positive or negative. Let me give you an example. A friend of mine a couple years ago got in a motorcycle wreck, destroyed his motorcycle, broke his arm, but it was not his fault. He wasn't out drinking or driving or racing or anything like that. Some guy just cut him off. I call that a neutral circumstance. And everybody's going, neutral, whatever, that's bad. Well, here's what happened. He went to the hospital. They did the, all the x-rays, the CAT scans, all that stuff, make sure he didn't break his spine and all that. Well, in the process of doing all that, they discovered, you've got cancer. But it was caught so early, they were able to go in and do some surgery, no chemo, and he's been cancer-free for two years. Now when he looks back on that, he doesn't look at it as a negative. He looks at it as a positive. He says, that motorcycle wreck literally saved my life. So what changed? Are the facts and the circumstances different? Nope. They're exactly the same. What changed was his perspective. That's what changed. Here's how you know what filter, if you will, you're viewing your life through. Because we all have a filter through which we view our lives. And it's either positive or negative. It's one or the other. When a neutral circumstance occurs in your life, how do you view it? Do you view it as positive or negative? And if you initially look at it and go, well, that's negative, then you need a change in your filter. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to change your filter. Because the lens through which you look at your entire life will determine the actions you take after that. Because if everything in your life is negative that's neutral, you're going to act in accordance with that perspective. And if it's not the truth, then you're acting on a lie. So you have to be careful what your filter is. And the only way to change your filter... It's through the power of the Word of God. It's that prescription for life that we talked about several weeks ago where God transforms you from the inside out because this filter is either influenced by the Word of God or the sin sickness. It's one or the other. And in that transition phase, over time, you should see your perspective change. I'll give you a personal example 
almost 20 years ago, in 1997, I got in a car wreck. Neutral circumstance, I wasn't racing, I wasn't out drinking, driving, just some guy cut me off, I got in a car wreck. Well, the circumstances of my life were such that I couldn't, I couldn't afford to go buy a new car. Man, I was mad. So here I am, I got this car, it's paid off, and I'm like, oh. So I call the insurance company, the insurance com- comes back with this really low offer. And I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to get a car for that? And I get all upset, and I start yelling at the insurance person, and just going, and man, everything was negative. Well, it turns out, the whole thing, the way it turned out was God provided a car for less than what the insurance company provided, and that extra, extra money actually helped me because I got laid off from work and covered those months when I didn't have a job to when I got a new job. So actually, it all worked out just fine. But I didn't look at it that way at first. Looking back, I went, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> How did that work? A year and a half ago, I got in a car wreck. Was it my fault? I was up on Rosedale, stopped at a red light. Lady plows in the back of me, totals my car, paid off. Oi. And I'm thinking, oh, no, here we go again. <laughs> I'm right back where I was almost 20 years ago. But here's, what, here's the thought that crossed my mind. I thought, you know what? I've been here before, and I know what happened last time. This is not going to be a negative in my life. And by the time I got out of the car... I had already made the decision. I know what, you know what, Lord? I know you got this. You're going to take care of the whole thing, and I'm not going to worry about it. It was really hard when I called the insurance company. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I do not want to hear that number. So I called the insurance company, and they actually gave me a better number than I thought. I'm like, whoa, hey, there we go. God's already provided. Then I started calling car dealerships, and they started laughing. I'm like, dang it. How did that happen? Because I went, there's no way you're going to find a good car for that price. All right. So I had a friend of mine that actually owns a a car dealership in the area. And he said, man, I'm sorry, dude. There's no way I'd sell you a car for that price. I go, great. He said, but if you want to get a loan, I can get you something better. But Laura, Laura and I, my wife and I, have already got to the place where we had paid everything off, no debt other than the house. And we're like, no, we're not going back into debt. We know... That is not the step the Lord's moving us in. So we already made that decision up front. So the answer to that was no, because it would have been easy, because it would have been a small loan, eh, get a nice car, so on and so forth. But we already made that decision. So I said, all right, Lord, I know you've already, you've already done this. I've been through this before, so I waited. <clears throat> well, it all turned out, I had a friend of mine who owned a used car lot, and he went to the auction, and he said, hey, I found a couple cars there. One I can give to you in your price range, they're going to inspect it for me to make sure that the frame isn't bent. I'll call you back in the next, in the next day or two. So he calls me back and he says, well, the one I was going to sell you, hmm, the frame was bent. <laughs> so, and, you know, he didn't have to buy it. But he said, the other one's really nice. It passed inspection. It's a great car, but I can't give it to you for the price you're asking. He said, just come out and take a look at it. So I went out, looked at it, really nice car, took it for a desk drive, brought it back. And he said, man, you know, I could float you alone for a couple months or whatever. I said, nope, I can't do a loan, man. I'm sorry. So I walked away, and a few hours later, he called me back. And he's a Christian guy. He's our mechanic, and we've been working with him uh, with our cars for years. And he called me back, and he said, look, he said, I just, I really feel I need to give this to you at your price. So God provided a car that was 20,000 miles less and three years newer than the one I had. And just like the first time, he worked it out. That didn't change. What changed was my attitude towards the whole thing and the way I viewed it. And I knew over the years my filter had changed. My filter had changed. Not because of me, but because of what he's been doing in me. And because I specifically positioned myself to experience that transforming power of Jesus. I don't have that power to change me. I don't have the power to change my filter, but Jesus does. And if we will humble ourselves before him and allow him to transform us from the inside out, we become disciples. And it's his power that's done it, not ours. Because here's the thing. 
I've been down the road, and I've been down many roads. You know, this core thing is just one example, the whole celebrate recovery, getting walking out of pornography, all that stuff. It's just part of that process to where I can turn around now and I can sit down with somebody and say, okay, what's the context of your life? Are you on your meds? Right? Are you on your meds? Because if you're not on your meds, there's nothing I can do for you. Unless you're reading the Word of God, I can't help you. I don't have the power. But if you're on your meds, let's look at the context of your life. How are you viewing your circumstances? And let's watch and see what God does. I'm just a guide. And folks, that's all discipleship is. It's not information transfer, although that takes place over time. It's not doctrine or theology. Oh, that takes place over time. It's your life and your, your life being transformed from the inside out. My job is to be a guide to help you position yourself to experience the transforming power of Jesus. Amen. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need doctrine or theology as far as being a seminarian or this huge theologian. All you got to do is get on your meds, allow God to transform your life, and in that process you turn around and go, you know what, God's transforming my life. Here, let me share with you what he's done in my life and let me help you position yourself like I did so he can do it in your life. That's all it is. It's not hard. We've made it this huge, ginormous thing and nobody does it. Nobody does it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, so don't. But if I were to ask everybody in this room to raise your hand, how many of us in here are discipling somebody else? I may get one hand. And if I were to expand that to say how many have discipled somebody at all in their entire life, I'd probably still only get one hand. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. If I can't enter into a relationship with somebody and help them, how in the world are we going to reach the world? Because a program can't make a disciple. A church service can't make a disciple. These are all great things, and they're things that need to take place. But only a disciple can make a disciple. When you lead somebody to the Lord, the Lord's looking at you going, okay, enter into a relationship with them. The sinner's prayer is not the end of the gospel. It's the beginning. So let's take a look at the armor in the context of discipleship in your life. Because... This is hard because it's personal. And, and unfortunately, in the, in the Christian world, we want to turn Christianity into an academic pursuit, and it's not. It's personal. It's very personal. I remember being a young Christian and, and being part of a singles group back in Florida, and, and it was my turn to teach the class, and I started teaching, and somebody stopped me and said, whoa, you're getting way too personal. I went, what do you mean? Because at the time, I didn't understand. <laughs> I don't know, dude. All I know is this is what the Lord's doing in my life. This is what I'm sharing. He's like, that's too personal. Stop it. And I didn't understand. And unfortunately, we've turned Christianity into an academic pursuit rather than the personal transformation of our lives. And this is what the armor is all about, is to help us go through this transforming process. The belt of truth, it's the identity when our identity is grounded in the gospel, we're free to allow God to deal with our issues. Because here's what happens. God allows a circumstance to come into our life. It's either positive, negative, or neutral. It doesn't matter what it is. And it begins to reveal something in us that we don't like. And now we have a choice. Are we going to allow God to deal with that? Or are we going to cover it up? Are we going to walk away? If we're grounded in the gospel... We're free to allow God to work on our issues because we know our issues are not our identity. Jesus is. That's the belt. It's the identity. It holds everything together. When I'm grounded in the gospel, God is free to transform every area of my life. The breastplate of righteousness, our worth before, before God, our worthiness is not be diminished by our issues or character flaws. 
we all have character flaws. In, in Celebrate Recovery, we call it hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Everybody's got a hurt, habit, or hang-up. If you live on earth, <laughs> you got hurts, habits, or hang-ups. And the worst thing we've ever done in the church is say, don't talk about that. Put on the mask and make everybody think you're perfect. And you know what tells us to do that? The law. It's not Jesus. It's the law. And when we put the mask on, what we're doing is we are hiding from God's transforming power. When Adam and Eve hid, they hid from God, the only one who could help them. And when we put the mask on and say, you know what, everything's fine, I'm perfect, don't, hey, you know, it's good, man. We're not hiding from other people, we're hiding from God. He is the only one that can help us. And if we are not willing to be transparent and take off the mask and say, you know what, I got hurts, habits, and hang-ups, well, welcome to earth. <laughs> it's a big boat and we're all in it. Unfortunately, it's sinking, but that's okay because Jesus saves. <laughs> we have to be willing to take off the mask because if we don't, God can't help us, and we're the ones preventing it. Our worth before God is not diminished because we have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. The shoes, the, gospel, the shoes of the gospel of peace are firm foundation. We can be confident that the gospel has already compensated for all our mistakes. The past and the present. All this stuff has already been compensated for by the gospel. The grace that saved us is the one that's going to transform us. It's not about perfection. It's about progress over time. Perfection is an illusion. Progress is defined by consistency over time. It's consistency, consistently allowing God to transform our lives over time. And time is our lifetime. It's not a week, it's not a month, it's not a year. It's our lifetime. And unfortunately, we put time limits on God. Come on, God, we need to do it tomorrow because i got stuff to do next week. And God's saying, no. The pattern in the Bible, look it up. It's a kingdom principle. The pattern in the Bible is years of transforming character before destiny is ever released. You look at Moses, you look at Joseph, you look at David, years, at least 15, 20-ish. Moses was 80. Anybody up for 80 years? <laughs> we don't want 80 minutes, let alone 80 years. But you look at Joseph and David, somewhere in the 15 to 20 years range. Even Jesus waited 30 years before doing one miracle. You think his mission was kind of important? Don't you think he'd want to get going on day one? <laughs> Let's go, people. I'm only here for 33 years. Hurry up. Amen. He waited 30 years before doing one miracle. And we can't wait 30 minutes. God is not limited by time, and he's not afraid of your age at all. He's not limited by age, period. I don't care if you're 120 years old. If you're 120 years old, please raise your hand because we're going to flood. It's going to be awesome. It doesn't matter. God can do more in six months than he could do in a lifetime of 600 years. John the Baptist, the greatest man born of woman, as Jesus said, had a ministry of maybe six months. Maybe six months. And he's called the greatest born among women. Here's a little Bible trivia. The last Old Testament prophet was John the Baptist. It wasn't Malachi. It was John the Baptist. Because Jesus hadn't died yet. The new covenant hadn't started. And the greatest Old Testament prophet was John the Baptist. But here's the thing. Jesus went on to say... He who is in the kingdom, the least, is greater than John. 
Here's the truth about all of us. We are greater than the greatest Old Testament prophet. That's how much power is within us. But we've got to believe it, and we've got to allow it to transform us first. The shield of faith, our authority. Our authority is not our own. It's given to us through the gospel, but it doesn't come by perfection. It comes by Jesus. We have the authority over our lives to allow God to transform us. Our authority is not there to fix ourselves. Our authority is there because we now have the authority to lay down our lives to God. We don't have the authority to pick up our lives for ourselves. We have the authority to lay down our lives for Jesus. Before, the enemy had authority over us. Now, we have authority over our own lives, but it's to lay it down before Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, to be living sacrifices for Jesus. The sword of the Spirit, the Word. We must allow the double-edged sword of the Word to cut into our own lives first. So double-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner or a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As you get the word in you, it begins to bring stuff up in connection with the circumstances, because God's in control of everything. He's sovereignly ordering these circumstances in concert with the word of God and his Holy Spirit to bring stuff to the surface to say, hey, this is in you. Not to mock you. It's like a spiritual x-ray saying, hey, this is in you. I want to get it out. But we have to allow him to do that. We have to allow the word of God to cut us first before it can cut through us to others. And then finally, the helmet of salvation, a sound mind. We've been given control over our minds. We've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But here's what fear and the enemy want to do. They want to keep us from allowing God to bring healing to our lives. And that's what happens. We become afraid of our problems. We become afraid of our issues. And we allow fear to dictate our actions rather than the faith we have in Jesus. And when we allow fear to dictate our actions, we hinder what God can do in our lives. You want to know why we're not growing fast enough? It's because we're making decisions based on fear instead of faith. We have to put that helmet of salvation on. What does that mean? It means we take control of our mind, the control we've been given, and say, you know what? I'm not going to believe that anymore. I'm not going to believe that anymore. I can't help the way I feel. I can't help the negative thoughts. But what I can help is taking control and making actions based on truth rather than a lie. That's the sound mind. That's the helmet of salvation. And that's how the armor helps us in our walk in discipleship. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to all stand up. As we get ready to dismiss, God wants to take the context of your life and transform you. The Bible says in Acts 17 that God has specifically placed us not only in time, but in a specific location. God could have dropped us anywhere in, in the timeline of history. We could have been around when Napoleon was here. We could have been around when, when Job was roaming the earth. We could have been around during World War II. But God chose us to be here right now. And not only did he chose when, he chose where. Not just the United States, but the context of your life is authored or allowed by God specifically to help you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid of your life. God's not. He's sovereign over it. 
and he's given you victory over every circumstance or situation. And through that victory, you learn who you are in him and who he is in you. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you are sovereign over all things. And Lord, tonight, Father, I pray that every single person in here would see your sovereignty over their life. Lord, we would take off the mask. Lord, we would let go of the fear and we would use the authority you have given us to lay our lives down as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you, which is our pleasing act of worship. Lord, you're not looking for a perfect sacrifice. You're looking for us. You just want us. And Lord, I pray tonight that your Holy Spirit would open the minds and hearts of every person here today. And they would realize, Father, that you are drawing them. You are seeking them. Father, you have transformed them and are transforming them and you will continue to transform them, not to be victims, but to be victors in Jesus' name. So here's what I want each and every one of us to do. I want you to repeat after me. In Jesus' name. Come on, say it loud. In Jesus' name. By the authority of the gospel, I lay down my life and I give it to you, Jesus, to transform me into a disciple. I am no longer afraid of the context of my life. I thank you, Father. You are sovereign over all things. working out my life for my good for my character to be more like Jesus and I release you Father to work in whatever way you wish for however long you wish to lead me into destiny tomorrow and the next day and every day from this day forward in Jesus name and all God's people said amen give the Lord a hand